Hey, Jason. I'm here. Ready. The other day I was in a restaurant. They said they serve breakfast any time, so uh-huh. I ordered French toast during the Renaissance. <laughs> what? <laughs> what just happened here? <laughs> <laughs> Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Musician Mindset. Today's guest is Dylan Caligiri. Dylan is an award-winning musician, teacher, and curriculum developer. He does curriculum development and competitive analysis for Fender. He is a co-developer of the Fender Play curriculum. And Dylan has a PhD in music technology from USC. He is currently on faculty at Miracosta College in Oceanside, as well as Los Angeles College of Music in Pasadena, where he is department head and about a hundred other things that are on here that we don't have time to get into. Uh, a very smart and accomplished guy, and we're going to have a great conversation today. Dylan, welcome to the show. Yes, wow. welcome. I feel like we already started a great conversation was, off air. It's been yeah. awesome. Terrifying now. Yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Pressure's on. the Fender Play thing, do you know Sydney Ellen? Yeah, oh yeah. So she is the more or less general manager of my business. Really? And is the teacher here and manages all of our instructors. I love Sydney. Sydney's awesome. a wonderful awesome. person. Awesome person she yeah. is like the quintessential professional oh, you, you know and like it's like yeah she's an amazing guitar player yeah i don't even view her as a guitar player you're like you're just like all around like pros pro i, I would ask sydney like should i say this and she would go no no i don't think you should say yeah. that. thank you sydney <laughs> she, well, she a, knows decorum she knows every aspect of yes how to do exactly because so anytime i'm <laughs> about to like become totally irate with there we uh, go with uh, a um, instructor I always have to run it by her first. Should I be irate right now? Yeah, yeah. Or should I? <laughs> yeah. What can I throw in this room, Sydney? Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> what would be acceptable? Common denominators. All right, this is awesome, man. Um, so w- w- we've been uh, going on a theme with these conversations yeah. of um, what is your musician mindset? Okay, so let's start the conversation there, and we'll pivot all around. And I, and I feel like people are going to get a ton of value out of you for sure. Okay. So just so you're, we're on the same page at the outset, um, one of the things I like to do in, in these talks is create uh, tangible uh, takeaways for musicians that are either in or just out of music college okay. that can benefit their pro career or at least give them a, a level up uh, sure. from the other competition so that they have more longevity. Right. Uh, and and we, come, we bounce around from there, but that's kind of what I'm getting at it. And yeah. Dave will come at it um, from, from his angle. Uh, but let's start off with, with – how you view your personal musician mindset. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I don't know that it would be totally applicable to everyone, but uh, we can talk about that later. Um, so in terms of creative musical mindset, is that what it is or just overall business and creative? Let's do both. Both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the creative mindset is harder and harder for me to sustain as I get older. I have to work really hard. It, it was like on the front end of life. I'm 40. On the front end of life, it was really easy for me to be highly creative and not concerned with, you know, business at all. And on the on this end of life or whatever side of life this is, uh, it's it's become 
harder to be creative and it has a lot to do with the sort of the carrot and the stick conversation about music and so i think a big part of my musician mindset has always been um a feeling trying to achieve a feeling playing music and a feeling you know engaging with people playing music and it was just how i grew up uh, being friends with people you know um and it was something that i excelled at very fairly easily and knew that I wanted to do. Uh, and it, I didn't have to work very hard to want to do it. Whereas other things like, let's say, you know, uh, finance, uh, research, I, I would have to work very hard to want to do that now and then. And so, um, it, it came naturally is basically what that statement is. Right. And so there was a sense of urgency. There was a, uh, a strong desire. Uh, there was a difficulty being fixated on anything else and all those things I didn't really have to cultivate they were just sort of intrinsic uh from very young on and I think all of that was uh the the impetus for all of that was from a feeling when I would listen to music and a feeling when I would uh would later learn how to play music even at just the, even at a, a frankly unacceptable level at you know nine years old or something you know uh it would still generate that that same feeling and so i think you kind of spend like a junkie you spend your whole life chasing that feeling mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so the mindset uh following that was sort of working this take me and you know through the 20s i think it was a lot of working this take me so travel and uh you know i think you're looking for validation too uh, eventually just like everybody in their careers and that was sort of unconscious at the time so i didn't really know that that was happening uh, and then in thirties, um, I could feel it start to shift from, uh, you know, I taught the whole time, but I could feel it start to shift to really the need to sort of just kind of sh share with others and a genuine desire to try to help others. Uh, because that started to replace the feeling that I got when I was, when I was younger, you know, learning music and playing music. So it started the juice, if you will started to become seeing someone else get lit up by music and engaging with music, playing music. I'm, I'll try not to say engaging. I'll try not to use any corporate terminology. Okay. It's going to be very hard. I love corporate terminology. Okay. Yeah, you're, Soup you're, to you're, nuts. <laughs> it was very difficult for me. To <laughs> and that's why evergreen, I will never bespoke this conversation. <laughs> Shoot me. Um, so no, but so basically, uh, yeah, so it shifted to that and, you know, the, the whole time, you know, just sort of having not any money growing up at all, like uh, there was a strong emphasis on needing to monetize playing and monetize music making. And, you know, that has po positives and negatives, yeah. you know, and this is where this is where I said this wouldn't necessarily apply to everybody. Some people can just be truly creative and and sort of throw caution to the wind. And sometimes I'm jealous of them because they, they sort of build a life, something I always tell students, they build a life that uh, will facilitate that creativity and facilitate that mindset in creativity. And you do that by keeping your expenses low, not getting into a ton of debt, not putting a bunch of weight over your head, understanding that your stress levels probably cannot handle that because you're so attuned to sensitivity. Versus uh, if you know that you are capable and need to handle stress, you need that sort of non-stimulus, excuse me, non-negotiable stimulus, um, 
then you want to find the sweet spot of where, you know, where can I handle some stress and still feel like I'm capable of being creative. And education always helped me do that because it's, it's a way to, to guarantee monetization, but there's, it still facilitates creativity depending upon where, uh, but you know, more or less, it still facilitates creativity and especially higher ed education. And it's still, it's one of the few places where uh, some of the art music still lives. And it's yep. a lot of this art music lives to perpetuate itself. Yep. It's not yep. perpetuated by an, uh, an audience that's not directly engaging in it. So meaning the people that are playing it are the main ones that are supporting it. Exactly. So, and it's not making money and sustaining itself. Yeah. I mean, it, you could argue it's like trading money from one hand to the next that are already doing it almost, right. you know. Um, so that was that, uh, so it, it does, it comes all back to that kind of like internal, am I overging? Am I overging right now? Am I passing the Nyquist theorem and I'm, am I making distortion with my voice? Oh no, no, no. You're okay. Good. good. No, you you're just good. tell me, have a sign for me. <laughs> you're good. Like a, okay. Uh, it comes back to chasing a feeling, you know? And I think it, it's like any sort of addiction almost where you're just like, I want to do this every day all the time. And other things come into your life uh, that can eclipse it. And the goal is uh, when it's almost like people describe religion. It's like, as you get further away from it, you might get into pain. And as you move closer to it, you'll probably find home again, you know? And so it's always there waiting for you. Um, so that's how I would describe my musician mindset in a very general, non-applicable way. <laughs> Man, that was... Our guest today has been Dylan. No. Yeah. <laughs> that was great, man. Uh, so, yeah, call man. the police. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. So I want to, I want to touch on the, um, the teaching aspect of it. It's uh -huh. something that's near and dear to me. It's, I mean, what I've been doing for yeah several decades now. Sure. Um, in your 30s, you said that this is where you really made the pivot towards education. Yeah. What was the, the main lesson you were trying to get across to all your students hmm. at that point? Uh, and has that changed since your, your uh, educational career has developed? Well, so I started teaching probably like most of you guys, like uh, you know, as soon as I could. So 15, 16, you know, friends. And, uh, you know, I, I had been, I was just so compulsive with my guitar playing that I had developed technical skill very young, uh, which is available to anybody that wants to be compulsive and sure. have an unbalanced life. Uh, but <laughs> um, I think what changed from, sort of the messaging to students in maybe those younger years to like the thirties would be uh, really the emphasis just became what is in service to you and not sort of what is a narrative or what I didn't, I didn't have as much of a personal narrative in the teaching and it was more of like, what's going to help this person. And I didn't just teach guitar for those through my twenties. I taught piano and some other instruments too. So it was, uh, and there was some time where I was on the road and didn't teach at all. But in the 30s, it really came down to like, okay, so even more than ever, these these students need to be seen. They need to be like their attention span is available to your to your teaching and to the space that you're in when you're teaching them. But your attention span will have to be there too, and it's going to have to be there in a very committal status, meaning. They're going to have to know that when they stop paying attention, you notice they stop paying attention because mm -hmm. all everybody's just looking to see where the boundaries are with because they'll notice when you stop paying. Yeah. attention. And they're like, yeah. well, if you're not going to pay attention, I'm not going to pay attention. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, um, and we could argue about whether that's, you know, whether our 
our commitment to learning was had more depth to it than theirs but i think students especially kids are dealing with the world the way it is right now and they're having to just answer the world as it is and so you know we have to adapt adaptation is a key component to evolution we have to we have to be able to adapt and say what does this person need and so in doing so to answer your question directly it moved from what are the things that i've learned and will and that i can excel in and share the most the most altruistic framing of that first huge chunk of teaching to what does this person truly need to be able to get through this how do they level up from where they are even just one tick if we can make that so i have students at at one college i teach at that are fresh out of prison and it's like okay this person is missing just tons of skills some of them are very astute by the way but some of them are just missing tons of skills uh that you need to be a really high functioning student and it's like all right what would this person need to just move the needle one inch in in the right direction in terms of where they want to go and it, it really does become like a shoot an arrow and if you don't hit the target aim lower until you find what you can hit you know and if it's like almost nothing there's a there's a uh, intrinsic sort of um, down snowball effect from just any amount of progress and uh, that and just stuff like high levels of encouragement, you know, high levels of tolerability and patience that I didn't, I just frankly didn't have when I was younger. I just really couldn't be that patient. So learning those and cultivating those was part of age. It sounds like a lot of what you're saying is customizing your approach for each person rather than mm -hmm. having like a formulaic, this is how I teach and this is what you're going to learn from me. It's like being a student of the student and this is this individual and this is how I'm going to approach you, mm -hmm. which is different than how I'm going to approach this person. Yeah. Um, one thing you just said that I wanted to ask, cause we've had conversations before about how you alter your teaching approach. Maybe this is more in the classroom mm -hmm. for the TikTok generation and the short attention spans and how, like I've heard you talk before about how you need to, your teaching has to be more um, uh, like active or I forget mm -hmm. the word you use, but, you have to structure it for the short attention span now, basically. So you, like, that's something you're aware of and you think about. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, this is the teeter totter. This is the hedonic set point of teaching, right? So mm -hmm. pleasure pain, mm -hmm. which is, um, if you lean on the side of pleasure in life, you're going to feel pain, right? Because that's the way life equals it. That's the way your brain will homeostasis is reached. If you lean on the side of pain, you're going to feel pleasure. So if you go jogging, I don't care how good you are at jogging. Like there's some part of you that's like, I don't want to be doing this right now, you know, and especially in the morning at 5 a.m. But what do you feel after you get done jogging? You feel endorphins, which would be pleasure. And if you go and do methamphetamine, uh, I'm assuming you feel wonderful. And then uh, it sounds like incomprehensible demoralization <laughs> follows, you know. Right. So I think that this in the teaching room, the way that this works is uh, – if I lean too much into what the student needs, uh, it, it tends to subjugate or subvert what I know to be an absolutely beneficial path. If I don't leave, lean at all into what the student needs, I risk any connection with the student on a true learning level whatsoever. So when, when issues of like the disruption curve come into play, so technology, 
modalities is the word you're probably looking for, which is like shifting modalities so that you get learners that are more visual, more sensory, more, I don't know, we don't have any smells on guitar, but we can work on it. So yeah, some do. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> um, but so shifting, shifting between these things for students to learn doesn't, doesn't uh, subvert your content as long as you've adapted to put your content into these different modalities. And so you can keep, it's just going back to a neurological level. Stimuli is non-negotiable. So I can never ignore a sound. I can't ignore a vibration. This is why our phones are so effective. I can't ignore anything that, that stimulates a sense. So with students, if you need to keep them engaged, if you stimulate multiple senses across a half an hour or an hour span, it's going to be very difficult for them to ignore you or ignore the material. That's where I would shift to facilitate newer learners. I don't really shift on the disruption curve of the content itself because this is the Warren Buffett thing right here where it's like, uh, we have no idea if that's better to learn than something else. And it's going to take way more time. But we do know this is a guarantee if you go this path because it's been well-trotted. Right. If we go on these this, this disruption curve with it, we could just be wasting your time and creating problems for you down the road that, uh, frankly, I don't even know how to anticipate. Right. So um, it's my job as the authority figure in the situation to, to, uh, to navigate that for the student and just draw some boundaries around, you know, not introducing too much disruption curve technology, disruption ideas, uh, too much, uh, just, you know, new stuff is what it really comes down to progressiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything that you've said, I'm totally in league with. Okay. And, um, we have cards around the school yeah. here that I have in all the lesson rooms for the teachers, uh, that I've tried to sum up what you're saying uh, into uh, three words, standard of excellence. Sure. Uh, when it comes to educating your student. Right? Yeah. And it's trusting the process and it's, yeah. and it's buying into the selflessness of being an instructor. Sure. So how do you motivate your team of yeah. instructors to buy into your methodology uh, or at least your philosophy mm. on instruction? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, the, the terms would be a little bit different, but not very much different when you think about it. I mean, they're very similar with like a collegiate team of teachers and teachers at a music store. I think there's a little bit more uh, of a moat in terms of a business around being a, a, a teacher at a music store because there's there's it's more of a the, the litmus test to get in to be a student at a music store is 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 lower. So that means that you can have a large like body of potential students, right? So uh, versus at a, at a college, you know, theoretically, the litmus test should be very relatively high standard of, of entry. And that means that there's a lot of it's a supply side economics problem. There's just way too many people that want to do this and not enough students, you know, and it's like the, this is the name of the music business in any big city, but in particular, L.A. and New York. It's like there's just way too many hyper qualified people and not enough uh, business, so not enough demand. Um, I think explaining that to teachers and going like, look, the reason that all of our, all the bean counters are saying, you know, you're replaceable is because you are. So you're really, your only edge is to be excellent because that is what's gonna separate you from that, that large swath of people that, that want this job because many of them will get it and because they're in this for, for self, 
uh, for self-centered reasons, they're not going to want to do it and they'll do it poorly. And so you will, again, rise, the cream will rise to the top and you'll be the person that's the obvious person that should have this job. So, um, but as far as motivating them to have a standard of excellence, I think, you know, it just goes down to one demonstrating like a high standard of character myself. So don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, try to be professional in the way you talk to people. Even when you're talking about other people, it's very hard to do when the other people are doing all the things that we just mentioned, but that's the way life works, you know? Um, so character basically like demonstrate integral high character traits and demonstrate leadership traits. And in addition, demonstrate the fruits of what their position can offer if they were to do it at an excellent, um, if they were to, to perform at an excellent level. And so my guess would be, you know, you're probably already doing that. And so it's really just up to those individuals. It's like, look, I mean, do you, do you want to, you're a squirrel. Do you want to get to the nut or not? You know? Mm -hmm. And if you don't, it's not that you won't make it. It's just that, you know, you're going to have less, you'll be able to do less. You'll have less options. That's what money means. And you'll just have uh, less enjoyment if you can't really dive in, you know? So there's not a whole lot of ways to cultivate motivation for people that are adults. Well, here's one thought. Here's one thought on that. This is that's because that's a really great question. It's a difficult question to answer. The way our dopaminergic systems work is called milestone-based rewards. So, in theory, we would have been chasing a mate or food, and we, as we got closer to it, and one of the senses perceived our distance from it, we would we would get a small dopamine reward or a it would be relative to the amount of the stimulus signal. So um, if there's milestone-based rewards for the people that are involved, if they can see my next goal to get more money, to get more access, to get more whatever, uh, to get more seniority is right here. So all I have to do is push this hard to get there. That's the way motivation works. Um, when you don't have clear rewards and they're not stepped, it's going to be very difficult to motivate people. And this, is, this has always been one of my chief complaints about um some of the collegiate systems <laughs> in particular is that they don't have the, they don't have this and so they're it's like why aren't i why aren't i getting what i want out of this out of these people and it's like well you don't have any what do they get out of it if you get what you, you want like what where is there a quid pro quo for them and how do you have it stepped in a way where they can see the next target and chase it and uh, there's one more phenomenon i'll share called um reward-based prediction error and it's actually the small part of the brain that is in the hippocampus that doesn't, it will uh, basically punish you if you have done something that is not, that didn't pay off the way you expected. It's prediction based, right? So if you got to this animal that you were chasing and it was actually an emaciated tree squirrel and you're like, oh, your brain is going to say, don't ever do this again. And I'm going to dopamine downregulate you to a massive level so that you feel really depressed. What happens when you lose money on an investment? Or you moon boy into Dogecoin or something and like you lose five, you feel terrible. And it's so, um, that's sort of already built into that. Well, on a day-to-day -day business, it tends to be the business owner that, that pays the cost for a bad employee. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so, um, when they could see somebody on a personal level and, and see what the, the effects of their behavior have done to that individual. And, you know, without 
without a whole lot of punitive nature, it's just like, wow, I mean, I'm just like you. Why would you want to do this to me? You know what I mean? Um, if someone can't be reached by that, I, we're showing sociopathic tendencies at that point. You know, we're showing high narcissism. And so it's about hiring the right people as the best that that can be done, but yep. also creating yep. milestone-based rewards. You looking for a consulting yeah. job? <laughs> I mean, like we're speaking the same language here, bro. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's let's go into yeah. – because uh, th- th- I think all this relates to yeah. like musicians, not just instructors, right, but like but people out there do- doing gigs, right? It's yeah. the same fundamentals. Yeah. So what do you see is missing from the majority of students that come into music college, specifically your music colleges that you work with? What yeah. is what is like like one characteristic that like is unified between all of them and very common? Uh, and how do you and your team develop that so that w- they, when they get into the pro world, they're at least one notch up? So what I see that's missing from from their uh, skill set or mindset when they come in and how do we develop that so that they're able to level up? Yes. Okay. Most common. Yeah. So just general overarching skills that are missing are going to be uh, follow through. They're going to be um, self-regulation, emotional regulation, um, toughness, emotional toughness, sticking through a situation, being uncomfortable. Those tend to be the most difficult uh, personal attributes that students come in with and that have to be over overcome. Uh, and just in regards to those, those are more on a psychological basis. And I think it's amazing what students can do with just a very small amount of um, inspiration or uh, great job. Just great job. I cannot believe how, how great you're doing. And uh, even even in the midst of doing 40 things wrong, when they do one thing right, it's like, hey, stop. You just did that correctly. Like, like You need to internalize and create a reward system when you do things correctly because you will have control over that for the rest of your life. If you rely on external rewards, you will never have control over how you feel because it will be all extrinsic factors that affect the way that you feel inside. If you rely on intrinsic factors to reward yourself consciously even you'll still feel rewarded because you made a payment on your debt you know do you own a house or did you buy a a cruise ship or something no you you made a payment on your debt if you reward yourself you'll feel good about paying off debt if you don't and you're like i'm still below the mark da, da 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 you won't feel good so find what you can control and lean into that as something that you feel rewarded about it really does come down to carrot and stick conversation again with the students. So I guess the the short answer to your question of what do I, what do they come in with? It's it's emotional regulation issues would be the largest thing. And how do we, how do I address that and try to help them level up? It's going to be um, just explaining that I see you and being honest and open with them about what their true problem is. And it's usually not even guitar related. It's usually not instrument related not capability related it's motivation and emotional regulation related do you think that's just a byproduct of that age bracket i think it's really easy as someone who's a, at least a generation older than them to just kind of castigate and to say you know your generation isn't trying as hard but it's almost like castigating the entire human race i mean i really well, yeah i don't mean yeah. like this generation i mean any 
person at any point in time who's yeah. that age is that like normal for them you know what i mean what was the first part of that question again then well these issues that you're saying that you're yeah. seeing do you think it is anyone who is that age has those issues or is there something more specific about i think that? everyone in general has those issues yeah. at this point i mean i'm talking all the way up to upper level management at corporations and when you talk to people like this in those positions it's they're they're like floored no one talks to them like this right? right like there's not there's not and frankly you know that doesn't mean they're gonna like want to use you for anything it just means that you're gonna have a pretty significant effect on them and as a teacher that's what you're trying to do you're trying to create an effect create uh, saliency is the word for that and that means whatever you place in that moment of saliency is salient it will be remembered it will have high affinity in their thinking patterns and so if you want to affect the way even a corporate a corporate leader works you go to these levels you go down to the emotional levels that's what that's why the biggest twitter comment will be related to some emotive statement right because it causes an emotional reaction that's marked for saliency and everybody pays more attention to it so you just use that to the benefit of the student instead of it being against them that make any, yeah, I don't know if that makes great. any sense at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like you're, you have a high emotional intelligence and you study a lot of human nature, it seems like. Uh, so my, my degree, I, that, that was a little, that I didn't want to, uh, my credits are, are uh, it's, my degree is actually in studio guitar with, you have to pick three emphases, emphasi, I don't know what the. Emphases. We'll work on that. Can you guys correct that? Uh, whatever you have to pick three areas of concentration when you're studying at the school i went to so it was music tech music teaching and learning and um uh songwriting but my like co-curricular activity and and uh interdisciplinary focus was in um neuroscience neuroscience and music learning Right. And so uh, that's where a lot of that comes from was just a genuine interest. And I think most people get into psychology and neuroscience because they're they're uh, they have problems and they're trying to figure out. Have you guys ever talked to a therapist outside of therapy? <laughs> they're all totally insane. <laughs> Why do you think they got into it? Right. You know? yeah. Why do people get in cars? They love them. Why do they get into brains? They're nuts. <laughs> Anyways. I have heard that before about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Facts. Yeah. How do you think we got to the point we're at at the collegiate level uh, where we're our focus is just being completely decimated from subject material to we are the mecca for all things for you. We'll fix you physically, mentally. Uh, like we we can we can save your life. Just come to the college. Come. And it's, it's sorry. I don't know what right. I'm doing. It's sort of a Scientology <laughs> thing. But um, <laughs> there's some. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not picking on, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea for me to necessarily name any issues and pick on them. But, um, I think even the colleges have realized like we can't do everything for everybody. Right. We should stick in our lane and, and let's go back to kind of sticking in our lane. And I think we do a good job in our lane. We know we can do a good job in our lane. We're not doing such a great job on all these other issues though. And I, you know, let's let the professionals in those issues, go ahead and 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 uh be the professionals in those issues instead of trying to be a mecca for all things a young person largely young person would need right um and the, you know the other big part of this is like it, evolution is a 
you know, whether, however anybody feels about that, hopefully evolution's largely accepted, but um, it is at play at all times. And the corporate world, the world of business is where the fierceness of nature that we see on the Discovery Channel still exists. It is a eat or be eaten situation, mm-hmm. flat out. Mm-hmm. So if a student wants to enter the world and be, if you want to be artsy fartsy for your whole life and, and write count contrafacts on Emily and, and all, you know, like, like be a cool jazz artist. I, that's awesome. I I'm actually super jealous. I just don't expect to make a lot of money. Exactly. Right. Build a life that's, that's small money wise. And you'll probably have a better life than I do <laughs> because you'll be feeding your sort of musical spirit. The main problem for you would be is if you start to desire materialism, right. you'll be at a huge disadvantage mm-hmm. than someone who started out with materialism as either a percentage or the large uh, sort of navigating factor in their movement forward. And so making that really clear to students, and students aren't so stupid they can't understand that. They're quite intelligent, which is why they're calling everybody out on all their BS. And uh, this is something we need to make clear to students. If you want to be true to art in its purest form and be an idealist, don't expect to make a lot of money. And if you if you want to make a lot of money, if you have a high standard of living, it's probably the way you grew up, by the way, that's going to influence this the most, then you're going to want to stay bent to the side of business. And you're going to need to be tough as nails to be bent to the side of business. You're going to fail and you're going to be screwed over. I mean, just it's just going to be just like nature. So don't be a gazelle and get picked off. Be a prey animal, you know, and that's that's really hard for people to do when they're mitigating the creative forces as well at the same time. It's a very hard balance. Yeah, and have. it's not even it's not a negative thing like being having that killer instinct or or even like materialism of course has like a negative it's connotation. It's not if you don't take it, it personal. Yeah, it's yeah. not I mean, it's just it's more of like just dealing in reality. Yeah, I think that for creatives though, a lot of times um, they can't handle it. Yeah. They can't emotionally handle it. I think that's why you see a lot of people suffering in the way that they are. So people who have a bent towards sensitivity are just suffering because the world, the full regalia of the world is in front of their face. Everything that's happening everywhere at all times is in front of their face. And it's it's being upvoted or downvoted based upon media attention on it, right? right. But still, it's, yep. it's there. Um, we're not designed to be able to handle that to begin with. And the, the sort of most sensitive among us would be the most creative among us are definitely not designed to handle that because they have a high sympathetic nervous system response to stimuli of all kinds, negative and positive, and it'll drag them down. It'll destroy them. So that is, do you think that that is just in their nature? That's just how people are just born that way. Or is that, uh, so I think nature selects based upon environment, predisposition, and uh, a number of other factors for genetic alleles, which then express in into uh, what we call phenotypical attributes, which, which is the way a gene expresses. When it comes to behavior, it's the nature-nurture conversation of right. you have the predisposition combined with the modeling and what's happened to you in your life. So the control factor would largely be in the modeling and what's happened to you. So you reframe these things, you re-understand your failures, you re-understand the things that were done to you, you re-understand the true nature of the danger in the world and what is not dangerous. And to do that, you have to lower stimuli. You have to put a lot of boundaries in your own life so that you can decide, so that you can frame your perception. 
mm. right? Because if your perception is to be framed by the media or by the world, and I'm not bashing the media, the media is a response of what we pay attention to, um, then it's going to be largely negative because nature predisposes to high anxiety and neg negativity because you're more likely to survive if you're anxious and nervous. Yeah, if you're able to perceive a threat. If you're just imagining you're, threats all yeah. over the place. Like yeah. you, you, one out of ten, you live and somebody doesn't. Right. And it's the same. Look at look at the stock market. Look at look at the fierce parts of business. People have high response reactions to negativity and to danger for a very good reason, because why risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need? Right. Right. Um, but it, when you're starting out, you have to go risk. You have to risk what you have and need um, in order to get any traction. So. These are conversations that students, frankly, can handle. Yeah. I mean, I mean, 12 year olds can handle this 13 year olds and they should. By the way, you kind of used to be a man when you were 12 or 13. Our brain, the reason like we could if I start singing Smash Mouth songs right now, you're going to know all the lyrics to every one of them. You'll hate yourself for it. No, I'm just joking. But you'll know all the lyrics. To all. And the reason why is, is because this age is predisposed in nature for you to remember everything you'll need for the rest of your life to survive. So how to like. I don't know, skin a bear or something crazy like that, or make a loincloth. Right. But like, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, there's probably no better time than to just go like, here's the way the world works. Here's the, here's the way, here's what you have control over. It's your behavior. Uh, here's what you don't have control over. Everything else that yeah. ever happens, right. including the fact that you were born here as a ma you know, male or female of this color and whatever, that's all that was out of your control. You're only in control of your response to any of this. Yeah. Have you ever heard Warren Buffett talk about the ovarian lottery? I I haven't. No, but that's that the same idea. Like, I love it. Yeah, I'll send you a link. It's it's really good. I haven't actually read a whole lot of Warren Buffett. I just know of him as as a very uh, uh, conservative investor for a large. I mean, it's like he's a he's a value investor. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I guess. Not yeah, a technology guy. Yeah. Yeah. Your summation of. Um Seneca's writings in about two sentences there is very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Uh, so the, uh, let's call it fight or flight mentality with a musician. Yeah. What are two business skills that uh, a young musician needs to work on? Character. And integrity is one. Probably first as your biggest asset as a musician, believe it or not. It's even more important than your skill level. I, t I totally it's crazy, man, but it's true. That's very true. Um, and I'm going to stick in that staying away from drugs and pr maybe alcohol. It's just it's going to depend on you need to know yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you if you feel strong desire towards things that ruin people's lives, you will have to spend some time self-regulating and then just never do it again if you can't and this is i don't know 50 percent of the people i grew up with more just done out for one you know to varying levels of failure because of that so character integrity would include you know your engagement with substances and addictions second would be uh consistency and a sense of urgency so consistency of approach, meaning so you can actually apply the scientific method. You don't have to be this cerebral about it, right? You can just be like, all right, I'm going to practice these things, or I'm going to chart these songs to be able to play with this band or this tribute act or something. 
and so you're very consistent. You have a high attention to detail, and you are. Uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? It's consistency and uh, urgency. Urgency, sense of urgency, meaning like if somebody sends you a task, you turn it around fast. You don't right. do it when you feel like doing yes. it. Yes, it's yes. I would wrote that as one of the top. <laughs> yes, it's in blood on my back, guys. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you're respectful of somebody else's time, and, and you know, like you're not, you're not taking the whole situation for granted. Yeah, I look at it as a business thing. It's like, what can I do better than anybody else can do, and how can I do it faster? And just where they're like, holy crap! Exactly. And so, like, this, I, you're gonna, if, if it comes down to you being a musician, you gotta make money. Right. So, and if you're gonna try to be a musician, musician, you're gonna have to be really good at the business side, or your yep. life is gonna suck, and you're gonna be blaming everybody else for all your problems yep. and be filled with resentment. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 I'm gonna go ahead and say best episode ever. Oh, no, come God. on. I'm like, come on, you guys. Like, no, seriously. Thank you. This is what I've been trying to express for a long time. I think, you know, and, and for a lot of musicians, like share your goals, you know, and this would be young and old, but especially for young, you know, um, share your goals because it, it, it will one, it will make you feel accountable. Yeah. And if you fail, you kind of feel sh you should feel a little bit of of sh uh, not, I don't know about shame, but you should feel like, hey, I failed a sting. That wasn't yeah. the goal. And like take the sting and go. I'm going to use this. I'm not going to like wallow in this. I'm going to use this. And I don't know of any self-made billionaire millionaires that didn't fail a lot. Sure. I don't know of any musicians. I'm sure there are musicians out there that were very successful that, that, that didn't fail, but I'd be shocked, you know? And once they got success, by the way, these are the personal attributes that are going to allow you to enjoy and keep it. If you don't have these, you're going to be an MC hammer. You're going to be a whatever you're going to get success and get hooked on drugs, have a sex addiction, whatever. The worst thing that might happen to you is success if you yep. don't have character. Yep. Right. Yep. So, because it would enable you to just become a complete hedonic narcissist. Yep. And uh, so, realistically, you have to develop that first because you know it it will prevent the situation from the what you want destroying your life if you get it. If you just were so unfortunate to get what you wanted. Uh, you would feel completely unrewarded and just begin to go like, what's the point of living? Versus if you have character and you have integrity, um, you're just going to be able to sustain your life and create a perception of reality that has more gratitude in it and has more just upward direction, mindfulness in it, you know, growth mindset type of yep. elements to it. We have to have the balance of working on our skill, like our instrument yeah. skill and our mental skill. Yep. And, and it's, it's a for a lot of um, early pro musicians that I come in contact with, it's out of balance. Yeah. Too much emphasis on the skill. Yeah. Uh, not enough emphasis on the mind. And they don't see that if you just put 5% more over here, yeah. you'd get 100x more uh, Returns. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm one thing to add to that too. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Would be um, on your skill level, on your your playing, on whatever it is about your instrument. Go directly to your worst attributes of your playing. Go directly to your biggest de deficiencies right. and address them head on. Just go to where you suck the yeah. most yeah. and and confront it. And uh, 
for one thing, because you'll have that uptick that you had when you were starting out. And that's, that's on this side of the exponential curve. This is the side that feels really good. Making progress feels really good. Sustaining progress is not a, a real feeling, by the way. It's, it's like sustaining progress is just sustaining progress. Making progress is like, I'm getting high. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is incredible. So actually addressing your weaknesses that the drummer can hear in your playing, by the way, because you can't play quarter notes. So deal with it. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know what it's but, you know, Are you going, getting enough hi-hat in your mind? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you getting enough hi-hat in your life? But going directly to your weaknesses and going, all right, what am I doing wrong here? And addressing them will give you that feeling that you got when you were starting out and would make progress. So you can keep having that feeling, but you have to stay uncomfortable and in beginner zone all the time on something, you know. I'm sure you're you're familiar with the idea of the hedonic treadmill. You heard of that? No, I haven't. It's the idea that it's basically what you're saying. Every time you, let's say you win the lottery, yeah, for however long you feel great, yeah, it's been like a huge jump, sure. But after a relatively short amount of time, that becomes your new set point of normal, yeah. And so to achieve that feeling again takes even more, or anything like you get a new computer, you get some new gear. They call that the you know, hedonic treadmill. Hedonic treadmill, yeah, oh, because you just keep going and going and going, and you never, every time you achieve something, that becomes your new normal. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, that is the definition of, uh, of addiction. I mean, all neuroscience is rooted in addiction. I'm sorry to tell everybody that, but yeah. it's true. Like, it, it, that's why we started studying neuroscience. And so uh, the, the hedonic set point, as it's referred to, which is like, it's like the immune system. It's like a jillion different systems at once in interplay, including behavioral systems. But uh, the reason people become sex addicts and do absolutely unbelievable things that you just would never expect someone to do and, and you're flabbergasted why they would be pleasured from that is because they have to keep pushing right. the button until it breaks to, to have this, the same effect and that's what you're describing it's like developing a tolerance to it uh, yeah that's exactly yeah. what it is and yeah. tolerance is the problem that's the only reason addiction exists yeah and unfortunately that sucks you know but the way you get out of that is through pain Right. You just lean into pain. Right. And for, for students, a lot of times that's practicing the things you need to practice. Right. Like for me, sometimes it's just sitting down to practice at all at this point in life. It's like, I only, I don't want to practice necessarily. I'm, I'm old. So it's like, I just want to go play gigs and, and do what I need to do. But it's like, I, I need to practice. It's important. It, it's, I, I don't like myself as much if I don't do it. So if I just sit down, all right, I'm going to sit down for five minutes. Well, what happens when we sit down for five minutes to practice? We, we go for an hour. Right. So it's like force yourself, find the, find the lowest point of that arrow and shoot it. And if you can't hit it, shoot lower. Will you do one minute, Dylan? Yeah. Huh? Can you handle that? Right. Mm -hmm. Nut job. <laughs> and so, sorry, this is the self talk. Well, it's like the, uh, yeah. It's like you were talking earlier about the, the balancing of the pleasure and pain. If you're yeah. going for the pain, then it's going to result in pleasure. It's like short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. And all of this stuff, it, it means nothing unless it's applied. Right. Right. And you don't even have to know it to apply it. In fact, there's more people that don't know it and apply it than there are people who, that do and apply it. Right. Meaning there's more people who just do, do the it thing. Naturally. Yes. Do it. Yeah. Then there are people who study the thing, talk about the thing, look at the thing, take pictures of the thing, right. but never do the thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, OK, last I'll shut up. If we go, if we went to the circus tomorrow and I don't know, we're, we're highly religious or something. And I, and I say. We see the trapeze artist on the high wire, and, and I go, hey, Dave, um, do you think that that 
that trapeze artist could he's, he's taking a wheelbarrow across the the high wire do you think oh. that he can take that wheelbarrow all the way across the higher wire to the other side without falling you're like are you kidding this guy's a love god of course he can do that and i'd be like well then go get in the wheelbarrow right. and it's like hell no right well why not because you apparently you don't really you right. don't trust it and i think you have to trust that if you just do the right thing and you and you, we all kind of we don't need anybody to tell us what the right thing to, to do is. We all know what it is. We've been doing the wrong thing, knowing the right thing was the whole time. Mm -hmm. Trust your instinct. Yeah. If you just do the right thing, you have to trust that you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. This is what faith is rooted in. And yeah. that's a personal belief system as, as far as what you ascribe faith to be derived from. It doesn't necessarily have to be derived from anything. It can just be faith. Yeah. You have faith that doing the right thing yields results it does in evolution it does in all the natural systems in the world so the right thing doesn't mean being fierce in business it it, it, it means it can definitely mean being fierce in business it, it just means doing the right thing in the in the sense of all the systems that we've talked about and trusting that the results will work out in the favor of you and frankly and everybody around you yep. will be will benefit from you doing the right thing yep and at that, I feel like we could have the hard drive go until it's capped out because <laughs> yeah. this is a phenomenal conversation. Yeah, what be, were the other ones like? Um, was there? <laughs> no, they're all different. But this is like you're, you're, you're hitting on things that the, you know Dave and I talk about all the time. Um, yeah. I have a hard out. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm over time right now, but uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank for, you guys. For everything I that had you no shared. clue how this was going to go, so uh, I went great. Pleasantly <laughs> surprised. Oh, yeah, yeah it's been great. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, my our pleasure, and, and thanks again. Any where can where can people follow you? Learn more about your thinking, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, I guess you could follow me on Instagram or something like that. I'm just Dylan, at Dylan Caligiuri. I have decent Instagram following there. I don't post very much, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I I appreciate it if you follow me, but it's not necessary. I I if you want to follow me, just. Do something nice for yourself today, and that'll be the, that'll be enough for me. We're gonna end That's it on a that. Great I love that. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks again, Dylan. Thanks. That was that was Thank awesome, you. man. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.